You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. You're listening to episode 320, and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Andrew Mason is the lead developer for CodeFund, an ethical advertising platform that is built to generate passive recurring revenue to open source developers, bloggers, and app builders. When he is not working on CodeFund, he is podcasting on the Ruby Blend or Remote Ruby, writing blog posts, or working on open source projects. It's great to speak with you, Andrew. Thanks for having me, Brittany. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Andrew, what is your developer origin story? I have a pretty typical uh, origin story. I was really into computers when I was younger. I probably wrote my first HTML when I was around 10 or 11. And I took some computer science courses in high school. I was a computer science major in college. And that's pretty much it. It's a pretty straightforward origin story. What is your specific experience with Ruby on Rails? I was introduced to Ruby on Rails at an internship in college where I was actually interning as a graphic designer, but they had a development team and they were developing internal Ruby on Rails applications. And they found out that I was a computer science major and they had a small HTML project that they wanted to do. And at the time I was trying to do uh, web development, web design on the side and not succeeding super great at it, but that was probably the time I learned the most about HTML and CSS and a little bit of JavaScript. But they found out that I knew how to do HTML and CSS, and they had just a little project, so they got me to help them out with it. And the semester after that, they asked me to come on as a Ruby on Rails intern, so I did that. And at the end of that internship, which was also the end of my college career, they hired me on full-time. So that's how I got my start in Rails, and I've been doing Rails ever since. I stayed with that company for about a year, a year and a half, and then I joined CodeFun after meeting Nate Hopkins and Eric Berry on another podcast, actually. And we hit it off, and Nate and I started working on some open-source stuff together on the weekends, and they they were ready to hire a developer at CodeFun, and they asked me if I would be willing to do it, and I decided I was. That's fantastic. I love how that all came together. Now, did you have to go through a formal interview process with CodeFund, or was it really an experience where you knew each other well and there was a lot of trust built already? There was a lot of trust built already. I think we did a little interview, but not really. Um, At that point in time, Nate and I had been um, working on open source projects on the weekends for at least a month. And he, he had realized that I was someone who was willing to learn and willing to, you know, dig in deep when required and code fund. There were only two developers at the time. It was only Nate and Eric who were the co-founders as well. So it's a, it was a small, basically startup and they were just looking for someone at my level who was basically junior to maybe early mid-range developer. And they, Nate was very, I think, I think he was very like sure that I was willing to fit the model that they had created. And I kind of thought about Nate and I are kind of alike in a lot of ways. So we blended and worked together very well. And so, yeah, there, I think there, that trust got built up and it was just kind of a great timing thing. 
I love that. And now I know where the the name Ruby Blend comes from. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, exactly. So among the many reasons I invited you onto the podcast, I wanted to ask you about your experience finding a community where one doesn't exist in your physical area. So what did you end up doing? So when I first discovered Ruby through that internship, I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. Because at the time in school, I was writing Java and PHP and not PHP with Laravel, just like straight PHP. And I wasn't enjoying it super well. And so when I found Ruby, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So my very first thing that I started looking for is, is there meetups in the area? Because I started listening to Ruby podcasts, including this one. And I was like, oh my God, I would love to go to meetups because that seemed like a core part of the Ruby community at that time. But my the town i live in which is wilmington north carolina it's a beach town and there's not a lot of tech in the area um there's a lot more tech in raleigh north carolina but that's two two and a half hours away from here so not something i really want to make the drive on for a night but there were no there were no meetups or anything and i didn't really find any other ruby on rails shops in the area so i started listen to a lot of podcasts and then I actually like Twitter can be a cesspool but I think if you really curate your people the people you're following and trying to establish relationships through that that I think it can actually be pretty beneficial so I really started following every Rails developer I could possibly find on Twitter and that is how I got to know a few people and that's how I heard Jason Sweat, who was doing a podcast at the time on Rails testing. And Rails testing is something that I was not great at at the time, and I wanted to know more about, and I had a lot of questions, and I asked him if he would be willing to let me come on an episode so that I could just ask a bunch of questions about Rails testing. So he agreed, and that was the first podcast I was ever on. And after that, I had told him that I was interested in doing more podcasting, so he encouraged me to reach out to some people, and I joined the Ruby Rogues at the time, and was on there for a little bit, which is how I met Nate and Eric, and then we all transitioned off of that, but that's when I also met Jason Charns and Chris Oliver, and I'm now on their podcast, so I think the key to building a community for yourself when one doesn't exist is find people that you enjoy on Twitter or other social networking platforms and just reach out to them and try to see if there's any communities that they are involved in that you can be involved in. For instance, the GoRails community has an awesome Slack group and there's definitely a community built around GoRails. So I really like enjoyed being in there and just meeting people and... Yeah, I think that's kind of it. You just put yourself out there. Don't be afraid. Or don't be afraid to ask for things um, because the worst they can say is no, but that's okay. And just being okay with that possible rejection, and you know, just kind of start growing like a list of friends. Um, also, conferences. I know they're the during the times we're in right now. It, there are not many physical conferences going on, but at the time I. The first Rails conference that I went to was while I was still an intern and the company was not willing to pay to send me, but I was able to volunteer at the conference and in exchange, they offered me a free ticket. So my company then offered to pay for my hotel if I could pay for my travel up there. 
So I met a lot of great people at RailsConf, and then I went to the RailsConf after that, where I met Jason and Chris Oliver in person. And I also went to RubyConf where I met a bunch of other great people. So conferences are key, you know, growing your social media in a way that is, you know, finding people in the community that you like and that you respect and that you kind of want to know and interacting with them through that manner and joining any Slack groups or, you know, trying to get involved in podcasts anyway. I think those are all great opportunities. So I'd love to get your opinion on this then. I really appreciate that RailsConf took the initiative to get the speakers together who weren't able to present in person and to publish their videos in a pretty professional way in the RailsConf couch uh, sessions. Now, um, I've watched many of them and they're great and they include many of the guests that have been on the show as of late, but do you have any advice on people who want to connect over that kind of type of virtual conference? I don't have any specific advice, but I would say that if you are someone who is interested in maybe having a remote uh, community or a remote conference or remote uh, meetups, I think that's a viable solution, especially during the times that we're in where, you know, a lot of these things are going virtual. At one point, I tried to start up a little Ruby meetup online and I didn't get super far with it just because... I got super, super busy at the time and things got a little bit hectic, but I still may do it, but I'm not, it, it, it probably won't happen, unfortunately, but I made sure to make that very clear at the beginning. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed the RailsConf videos and I would encourage anyone who is listening to go check those out. Now, I haven't organized a conference myself, but I have organized large-scale events. I once partnered with a trio of women, and we put together a startup weekend, if you're familiar with those. And my advice for anyone who's interested in doing anything like that, you have to find partners in order to pull that kind of thing off, because doing that kind of thing solo is just so hard. And so I remember you had an episode of Remote Ruby where you kind of put a call out uh, looking for people who might be interested in doing something like that. And I think it's a great opportunity for someone such as yourself a couple years ago who wanted to get to know people within the community. Yeah, absolutely. And I still, like, if anyone really wants to, like, I had a few people who were like, hey, yeah, I'm willing to help with this, but it kind of ended at that. So I'm not the type, I'm not an organized person whatsoever. I think that was kind of the downfall for me is I am very, very disorganized, very chaotic in the way I, I do things. Um, I've also been very open about the fact that I have ADHD and it really hinders me in that kind of organizational aspect and keeping on timelines and things. So if someone out there is listening to this and they really would like to see uh, online remote Ruby meetups happen, I have lots of people on a mailing list that are interested and all I really need is someone who has the talents of organization and management that I do not to kind of step in and help me with that and I would be absolutely willing to do it. Well, you heard him right here, listeners. So we'll include all of Andrew's uh, contact information in the show notes. So you kind of hinted as to what CodeFund was and how you got involved, but I'd really love it if you could explain how it works, how far along the company is. I mean, basically the elevator pitch to any developer who hasn't really worked with it yet. So the elevator pitch is kind of what I put in my bio. Um, but just to reiterate, CodeFund is an ethical advertising platform that is built to generate passive recurring revenue to open source developers, bloggers, and app builders. And how we do this is through ethical advertisements. Um, 
and when I say ethical, I mean advertisements that do not track you. There are no cookies, and they are not going to follow you. And if you look up, you know, some some if an ad on our website or through one of our publishers appears on on a website, you're not going to see an Amazon ad for that later. So we're not sharing that information. It's all private. It's all very secure and we don't track you. And I think that was one thing that very much lured me to the company. But we, if you, for instance, if you have a popular blog um, and you would like to main or get some recurring revenue through that blog and also maintain like the integrity of your blog, so not tracking your users and basically selling out their data, then you can sign up to become one of our publishers and we will basically give you a a little you can there's a few ways you could do it but the main way is to put just a little uh javascript source script tag in your html with and a empty div with the id of code fund and when your site loads we will fetch a advertisement for you and replace that um that div with the advertisement and we also have a lot of it, it's very um content focused so if you have a blog on Kubernetes, for instance, then we're going to find advertisers for your that match with Kubernetes kind of uh, keywording. How does that work? Are you reading the web page and processing or using some sort of machine learning in order to deliver the correct advertisement? No, not exactly. So when you sign up your property, you just put in kind of what your property is about and you basically put in keywords. And that's how we associate advertisers to um, properties is through those keywords. Fantastic. So what is CodeFund's technical stack? We are proudly a Ruby on Rails monolith, and it is on Heroku, funny enough. Uh, We process, uh, I always get this number wrong, but millions of ads per day. So we're getting hit with millions of requests per day. we do Redis, Postgres, Rails. We're all, we use Stimulus.js. There's no JavaScript framework. We very very happy with Stimulus. Um, just using plain ERB, and that's pretty much it. Well, I want to ask you more about CodeFund on the other side of the break. Today's sponsor is Datadog, a monitoring and analytics platform for cloud-scale infrastructure applications and logs. Datadog integrates seamlessly with more than 400 technologies so you can track every layer of your complex microservice architecture all in one place. Distributed tracing for Ruby applications and APM provide end-to-end visibility into requests wherever they go across hosts, containers, and service boundaries. With rich dashboards, algorithmic alerts, and collaboration tools, Datadog provides your teams with the tools they need to quickly troubleshoot and optimize modern applications. See for yourself. Start a 14-day free trial today, and Datadog will even send you a t-shirt. Visit datadog.com slash rubyrailspodcast to get started. datadog.com slash rubyrailspodcast to get started. Link will be in the show notes, and thank you to Datadog for supporting the show. So we're back. Andrew, we had Joel Hoxley on the show back on episode 276, back when it was called Component, but I'd love to hear how you're using the new view component at CodeFun. Yes, so I have also interviewed Joel Hoxley on the Ruby Blend, and I've actually paired with Joel a few times. So I absolutely was thrilled when I, I was at his RailsConf talk when he kind of debuted what view component was. And I was overjoyed because I don't like a lot of things 
in the kind of React slash, you know, view Angular kind of mind space, but I really like the way they organize the front end with components. And specifically, this kind of like became more and more of a forefront issue for me when the first task that I really did when I came to CodeFun is they wanted to migrate the, we were using a bootstrap theme and they wanted to basically migrate the views over to a new theme. So as with any large scale um, re-theming of a website, you know, you're touching every single view. It's a big task and it can take a while and it can be a little tedious. And we were working with the developer at the other, at the time. And it was kind of clear that we had differing opinions about how HTML and CSS should be structured and how we should go about doing certain things. So I wanted to make this transition as seamless as possible, but I also wanted to keep in mind the fact that in the future, if we want to do this again, I don't want it to be painful because it was kind of a painful transition, at least for me. So I created basically a system of helpers um, throughout the app and those helpers basically were, you can envision like card helper, card header helper. Um, and what they would do is wrap the standard HTML that we would typically put in there and allow you to add in some options. So you can have card header or card card do and then card he- header and then put in what the value is or you can expand upon it. And that was the way that I created to basically you know, make that there's no remove the um, I'm trying to think of the right word remove the differing opinions so instead of like maybe you like to structure your cards differently than I do there was just one way to do it and there was only one way to write the HTML and the associated CSS so that was my way of kind of organizing everything and making everything on the same pack or on the same path so that in the future, if we wanted to change like an aspect about the card, um, you, there was one place to do that, and it was echoed throughout the app. And the other thing is, I worked with a UX designer at my first job who instilled a lot of very strong opinions into me about the UI and how it should be structured and things like that. And one of them was that you know if you have a card, it shouldn't look different on one page from another. And at in code fun at the time we did have that and i wanted to remove that variance as much as possible but because it i only had basically helpers available at the time and i didn't really look into using something like cells from trailblazer i just used the helpers and i basically created my own dsl and as anyone who has used their or created their own dsl before knows <laughs> there can be pitfalls and especially around documentation. I am not gifted in documentation. I'm a very, uh, I do one thing and then I quickly move on to the next thing and I don't really think about the maintenance as much as I should. So after we had kind of moved everything over and I was using these helpers everywhere, uh, Eric, the co-founder came into the code and he's like, what is this? He's like, how do I use this? Like, what have you done? (laughs) You've created this DSL everywhere. Um, It's not documented. And it be kind of became clear that yes, there were advantages to using it, but there were also pitfalls as well, especially for someone who had never seen it before. So that's when I became very big into view component and kind of watching it. And I was really upset when it didn't make it into rails and, but I, I think that's okay now. And I'm actually kind of happy about that. 
But yeah, I, I use view component everywhere in CodeFun. We've started replacing my custom DSL with it. And for the large part, that's pretty much almost done. And it's been a great experience and pairing with Joel and some issues or how we're using it and maybe potentially I've, I've opened a few PRs to view component to add in some features that we would like. So yeah, that's kind of how we're using it. That's fantastic. So for listeners who are contemplating using view component, what do you think the ideal situation would be? It sounds like CodeFund was pretty perfect for it. CodeFund was pretty perfect for it because I'd already kind of built the helpers with moving to view component in mind um, because I was building these helpers after I'd seen the RailsConf talk from Joel. I think if you have any sort of reusable um, structure in your HTML, I think a card is a great example. Um, other great examples I think are layouts for your pages. That's one place that we use it very predominantly at CodeFun. Um, any place that you have structuring your HTML that should be mapped kind of one-to-one to your quote-unquote design system, however that may look, whether it's just a bootstrap theme or you have an actual design system, I think View Component can help keep you on the right track and make help your developers adhere to that structure that you want your views to be designed in. And it also, the best part about it, I think, is that it comes with a lot of testability um, baked in. So all of our components have unit tests written for them. And I think that's key. So making sure that, you know, basically adding another place of testing, because at the end of the day, kind of like Joel said it, uh, I think he said it on the Ruby blend podcast that we had him on, but there's the views are at the end of the day, what we ship to our customers. So, you know, the fact that in most rails applications, the views are typically the least tested and that kind of goes against what, you know, Ruby and the Rails developer ecosystems kind of think because we're very test first or we're, we, we keep tests very at the forefront of our concern. And I think if you compute a view component will allow you to get there. I love that. So did you end up shipping view component incrementally or is this a long-standing branch that you've been running? We are very uh, uh, trunk-based development, I think is probably the easiest way to say it at CodeFun. We believe in small incremental changes and we believe in shipping constantly. So these have been incremental changes. So an example I can give you is the an avatar component. So I'm not sure this was actually a helper to begin with. I think it was kind of kind of comprised of a few helpers, but then wrapped in HTML. But what I did was I took how we were using avatars in the application. I made that into a component and then I replaced all of the avatars they were currently using with this new component, made sure that they all worked, tested it, and then we shipped that. So yeah, incremental changes and continuously shipping. Awesome. Well, not everyone is as lucky as to be able to pair with Joel while they're converting over to view component. So aside from the docs, do you have any other helpful resources listeners should look at? Uh, I think watching or seeing other people and how they're using it is an extremely helpful way to use it. And I also think that uh, just experimenting with it is key. So there are lots of apps there. GitHub has this great feature that apparently not as many people know about as I thought did. But if you go to the view component um, project on GitHub, there is a icon at the top that says something like uh, used by or something like that. 
Yes. And so you can click on that and see all of the applications that are using that library. I would highly recommend going through that and just kind of seeing how people are using it. CodeFund uses it. You're welcome to come. Our code is all open source and you're welcome to come check out how we're using it. And then I also believe Joel has mentioned that GitHub is going to be out or open sourcing some of their components. And I think that's also going to be key. So I think seeing how other people are using it is the first concern. The docs are very good, I think, in my opinion. I think that's a great resource as well. And then just experimenting with it because there have been times where I kind of want to make a component a certain way or I'm not sure how the best way to make it. So instead of just shipping what I think may be the right way right now, I'll just kind of sit on it, keep iterating on it, keep thinking about it. And then once I'm finally happy with it, once I'm finally kind of created a pattern, then we'll ship that out. But just not being too hasty and also doing research on how the React communities are kind of structuring their components, I think has also been really helpful. Oh, that's some really solid advice. So what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Rails communities? I think that Rails is only going to continue to increase in mindshare. I think the whole notion of is Rails or Ruby dead, I think that's total malarkey. Um, Ruby and Rails is not dead. People are still building with it. It's still an awesome technology. I'm very interested. Very recently, they opened up a discourse group for Rails called a May of WTFs. And it's basically a way for you to kind of put in some struggles that you had. And they're kind of using that, I think, to make a little bit of a roadmap for increasing the ability for beginners to use the framework. Because there are some areas that you can kind of fall into of, you know, issues. Like, I think the Webpacker stuff has been the biggest thing I've seen in there so far. And it is not an easy transition, but I would encourage you, if you are experimenting with Webpacker or you are having troubles with it, I think it requires a lot of just in-depth reading of maybe the code, some of the documentation, but yes, Rails could be doing definitely a better job of documenting kind of that transition. But I think that entire movement is going to help beginners tremendously with Rails, but I think Ruby on Rails is still just has a very strong and uh, long future. I agree with you. So Andrew, how can listeners follow you? You can find me basically everywhere at Andrew M Codes, um, Twitter, GitHub. I have a website at andrewm.codes that basically is just integrated with Dev.2. So I post blog posts on Dev.2 and they basically just get synced over to the website. So you can follow me on Dev.2. Um, and yeah, I think that's basically anywhere. Andrew M Codes. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. You provided so much great advice, and I hope listeners are able to take advantage of you Component soon. Cheers. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was so much fun. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review, and thank you for listening. Thank you.